Dave and I decided that we uh, wouldn't have him sing and dance during the offering today. <laughs> I didn't mean for the applause, Dave, but you know, it is what it is, you know. I'm going to ask a question of a few of you here this morning as we get started. Now, don't be afraid, there's no right answer to this, but I've already asked the same question of four different people over the last couple of weeks, and at least one of those four said it was kind of a weird question. I'll give you that. It is kind of a weird question. probably is. Of course, I have weird thoughts sometimes, so it kind of goes with the territory. But hopefully it'll help us begin our look at something that I call our most cherished illusion, which is really actually just the subtitle of this morning's message. If I told you the title, you know the answer to the question, so we'll get to the title in a moment. There are things that we want to be true about life. Some of those things that we want to be true about life really are true. And then some of those same things, if we think about it very long, we realize they're not really true. But what I want to ask you is this. So here's the question. Get ready. What do you think is the biggest illusion that many, if not most, people have about life? That is, what do you think most people really believe to be true about life or want to believe about life that's really not true. It's just an illusion. Okay? Got the question? All right. Now, again, there's really no right answer here, so you can raise your hand or I'll come and pick on you. Anybody want to venture this? Somebody, Beth, Beth is brave. That's a science teacher who deals with middle schoolers. She's got to be brave, right? Okay, Beth, what do you think? That we can work our way to heaven. We can work our way to heaven. That's a good one. I think that's really true that a lot of people think that. Surely. That we have a right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That we have a right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Laura. Laura, okay. Shirley stole Laura's answer. All right. Chuck. <clears throat> Let's try you, buddy. Uh, the physical life will go on forever. The physical life will go on forever. Okay. One more. Anybody else? Okay. I'm going to come to Laura over here. Now, Laura, Jim was one of the four people I asked. You haven't cheated, have you? Okay, because I don't want to be one, to, you don't ever talk, okay. I don't want to be one to facilitate cheating. Man is always progressing. That man is always progressing. These, these are all really good, actually. These are all really good. They're very good answers, I think, and any of them could be the right answer. Like I said, there is no right answer. But uh, it's not the answer I was looking for. Of, of the four that I asked this question of earlier, uh, within the last few weeks. Uh, one of them actually came up with the same answer that I was looking for. Okay, so this is not scientific at all. Again, there's not a right answer. It's just a good way to get us thinking here at the outset of today's message. I believe our most cherished illusion in life is that we have control. That we have control. That we have control over anything. We must believe it or we must strongly hope for this to be true at some level. Because most of us, think about this, most of us, if not all of us, find that stress in our life is the worst, it's the strongest in our lives when we don't have control. Or when we lose control over some aspect of our lives. So we do things to try to retain control. 
and we try to retain a control over life that we never really had anyway. <clears throat> and when those things sometimes don't work either, what happens? Our stress level rises more still. The truth is, I believe, to varying degrees, we all have what you might call control issues. That's kind of a psychological phrase. He has control issues, she has control issues. It's our most perished illusion. We all want and need to have some measure of control over what happens in our lives, over the circumstances of our lives. And I think also, though most of us realize that this is probably even more problematic than having control over circumstances or things like that, most of us also want or need to have some measure of control, not just of circumstances, but of people in our lives. Because I don't know if you've noticed this, but sometimes people can be one of those major causes of stress in your life. Nobody else experiences that, do they? No. Mm -mm. So, this may, may or may not be, this need for control that we all have, may or may not be a quest for power. It might be pretty simple, actually. It might be just a desire for comfort or for stability in our lives. You know, to put a holier spin on it, it might even be a desire to see righteousness reign. Isn't that true? I mean, sometimes we don't have control over that, and we look at our world, and we think, and, and that maybe even causes us to be stressed, okay? But the bottom line is this. If you think about the stresses in your life, and you think about why you feel stress about these things, my guess is that the root of that stress is a lack of control. This reality has really hit home with me over the past several months in a very personal way as we've begun the process of getting Barb's folks moved over uh, from Arkansas to Oklahoma with us. We both found this to be an incredibly stressful process for many reasons. But I think, again, at the root of this stress is our lack, our total lack of control over the process. You know, we think we have made decisions, we think we have some control, but we really don't. We've made a decision that the right thing to do in our circumstances is to care for Barb's parents in this way. We realize that it will alter our lives significantly, but we're determined to do this because we believe it's the best thing to do. So we've set upon a path to get us toward that goal. We've planned it, we're working on it, but honestly, though I believe it is the right thing to do, I believe it's even the godly thing to do that doesn't mean that there haven't been obstacles. Now, I don't want to sound whiny this morning because I know that there are many of you who are dealing with many challenges. I can look around the room and knowing so much about so many of your lives, I know so many of you are dealing with things that are way more challenging, way more stressful than this. But there have been so many things, so many little things and big things that have been totally beyond our control in this process and very challenging that even though we've been very deliberate and we've been very diligent in this process, the whole thing's caused us a fair amount of stress. And any one of them all by itself might feel more manageable, more controllable, but piled one on top of the other, it feels that much more stressful. Now, did you hear what I just said? We've kind of just unveiled the problem with my attitude and my perspective on control even in how I just phrased this. Did you catch what I said? One of the things I just said, even though we've been diligent and deliberate in the process, I also said any one of them by itself might feel more manageable. 
as the very fact that my planning and my diligence somehow gives me more control over what a seller will or won't do after they get an offer on a house that we want to buy. As if that diligence somehow gives us more control over whether or not the faucet to the washing machine breaks the day we move. You know, that happened. As if these deliberate choices somehow give us more control over how much rain falls and seeps into the house that we're moving out of and getting the brand new carpet wet before the Feathers family can even get to enjoy it. These things have all happened. As if any of this planning makes any difference in how much our foundation shifts in the heavy May rain and damages the backsplash in our two-year-old kitchen of our old house. Our planning may be right, it may be good, it may be important to do, but it doesn't mean that we have control over anything. And it's no guarantee that things will go the way we plan. There are so many verses of Scripture that speak to this issue, the reality that we don't have control. For example, Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23. I put it up in three different versions. It's actually on your bulletin cover this morning as well. Let's look at what that says. I know, O Lord, that the way of man is not in himself, that it is not in man who walks to direct his step. In the NIV it says, I know, O Lord, that a man's life is not his own. It is not for man to direct his steps. And then in the New Living it says, I know, Lord, that our lives are not our own. We are not able to plan our own course. Anyone who want to say amen to that? Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. The purpose of the Lord will stand. Now, honestly for us, that's kind of the tough part, isn't it? What is the purpose of the Lord in some of these things? When I have to spend more money than I'd planned to spend to get a plumber, or when I plan to spend money I didn't plan to spend to get new carpet, or to hire a structural engineer to address the foundation movement, or even to replace a silly roller blind that fell off the wall the day we moved into the new house. And it doesn't work anyway. What's the purpose of the Lord here? I know that it's his money anyway. Barb and I have been quoting from Job quite a bit. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We've quoted that to each other a lot over the last month or so. Truth is I have no control. I have no control over these things. Or for that matter, over anything. And thus... I'm stressed. And on those occasions when I can discern the purpose of the Lord, you know, sometimes we can, not always, but sometimes we can, it may make the stress a little easier, but not necessarily. Sometimes it makes it harder. So we see that our desire for control, and we see the reality in our daily lives that we don't have control. There are so many passages of Scripture that address this theme of our lack of control. And on the other the good part of this, God's total control. And since we can never go wrong by letting Scripture speak, let's just for a few minutes now ponder these truths and a few of the many verses that we could read this morning. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 20, verse 24. A man's steps are from the Lord. How then can man understand his way? Let me read it in a couple other versions. The NIV says a man's steps are directed by the Lord. How then can anyone understand his own way? 
And the New American Standard says, man's steps are ordained by the Lord. How then can man understand his way? So we see those three different ways of looking at it. Seeing the word ordained really gives us a pretty clear picture, doesn't it? Verse 24 emphasizes the mystery of divine sovereignty. A person makes his own decisions and is responsible for them. That's true. We are responsible for our decisions. But paradoxically, God directs the steps of each. This paradox demonstrates the limitations of human discernment. If a person does not fully comprehend the pattern of his own life, how can he be competent to judge others? We see similar ideas in Psalm 37, verse 23, where it says, the steps of a man are established by the Lord. So here's what we've learned about the steps of a man. That's the way we live, okay? That's the path that we walk. We've learned that they are from the Lord, that they are directed by the Lord, that they are ordained by the Lord, and they are established by the Lord. You see a pattern of developing here? Do you see any place where we have control, where we establish, where we ordain, where we direct? The word is abundantly clear on this theme of God's total control, his sovereignty, his providence over people, over nature, over all. We read even in uh, Proverbs 21, verse 1, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. So even though we see in Scripture God does hold people responsible for their choices, it's clear that even our choices are somehow, in a way that maybe we can't fully grasp, in the hand of the Lord. Think of Joseph in Genesis after being sold into slavery by his brothers. And he experienced so many different things that we'd consider to be awful things, right? Even he realized God's control over the entire episode. When we read in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, Joseph says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. That's one of those instances where we do get a sense. Joseph did get a sense. He had a clear sense from God. This is why all these things happen. And it wasn't just about you, Joseph. It was about all these other things. We read in Daniel chapter 2, verse 21. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. God's also in control of nature. We see in Psalm 104, verse 19, He made the moon to mark the seasons. The sun knows its time for setting. We read in Psalm 135, verses 5 through 7, For I know that the Lord is great, and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, He does, in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps. He it is who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes lightnings for the rain, and brings forth the wind from his storehouses. God has our days numbered, and he has ordained them, established them, and has since before the beginning of time. What an awesome thing that is to consider. We read in Psalm 139, beginning with verse 15, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. There we see that word again, ordained. These days that I'm living in 
my days, your days, were formed, they were fashioned, they were made by God for me. Your days were made by God for you. Think about that. God's in control also of how human history works out. But most amazingly, he's in control of his wonderful plan of redemption. We see this in the believer's prayer. We read in Acts chapter 4, verse 27 and 28, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. And then in verse 28 it says, To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles, the people of Israel were all involved intimately in God's plan. So we make plans, don't we? But even the New Testament echoes the old in that those plans belong ultimately to God. We read in James chapter 4, verses 13 through 15, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. I always hear Dory Shupak saying that. Whenever I, whenever I say, Dory will see you next week, you say, Lord willing. You know? So Dory, Dory does that. Fortunately, think about this, we don't serve a despot. We don't serve a despotic, dictatorial ruler, an evil uh, dictator. Eric Little's dad, you remember Eric Little, the uh, Olympic runner in Chariots of Fire? Well, he said, God may be a dictator. And he said, I, but he is a benign, loving dictator. The same God who's in control also loves us and provides for us. We see this fleshed out in the verses in Matthew here. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And then in Matthew 10, 29 through 31, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your Father? <clears throat> but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. And then there's the familiar verse that most of us hang on to tightly. Probably everybody knows this verse and can quote it. When things are tough, we don't quite understand what's happening. Of course, that's Romans 8:28, And we know that in all things, in all things, God works. How does he work? He works together. He works those for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to to his purpose. There's a reason that's almost everybody's one of their favorite verse, right? Because we can cling to that. We can hang on to that truth. So scripture reveals a God who is large and in charge. And that's a good thing rather than a scary thing. If you think about it, a God who's in control really could be a truly frightening thing if we didn't know about his love. If we didn't know about his redemptive plan for us, if we didn't know about his active, loving provision and care for us. I believe there are two ultimate purposes we must keep in mind as we consider our total lack of control that we have over life circumstances compared to God's total control or his providence at work in our lives and in our world. 
First of all, I think God wants us to trust Him. Because though we have no control, He has ultimate and complete control. And He is trustworthy in every way. And He is willing and able to move on our behalf. Secondly, I think God wants our trust of Him to accomplish His purposes in us and in His world so that we can glorify Him. So that we can glorify Him. These control issues are a problem for everyone, believer and unbeliever alike. And I think it's just a matter of uh, degree. There's some that have more trouble with it than others. Secular psychologists talk about what they call the strength-weakness paradox. That is, any trait that's one of your best strengths can also be a liability or a weakness in your life. Being diligent and persistent, for example, can be great, <clears throat> but can turn into bullheadedness when taken to extremes. Open-mindedness and willingness to consider all points of view can be great, and it can also make you wishy-washy if you overdo it. Being well-organized and getting things done can be great, but overdo it and you start acting like a control freak. If you're a super-organized, decisive action person, it's possible that you've taken it too far. Is it possible? I have to be honest and wonder if I can really see myself in this description. Like the dog here walking the other dog. Control freak, huh? Or like this woman in the top right who says, I hate it when I plan my day and nobody follows the script. I've never said that, but I've thought it quite a bit. Or like the guy in this cartoon, it may be a little harder to see or read, but he's got a ruler and he's measuring the heights of his flowers. And so they're perfectly even. He's got a little ruler to measure the heights so they're all in a row. And the child, apparently having heard the mom refer to her husband this way, asked, Daddy, what's a control freak? I truly hope that I'm not a control freak, but I have to confess that I surely can lean in that direction sometimes, unless I'm submitted to the Holy Spirit. I am a planner. I'm pretty organized. I do like it when things go according to my plan. Nothing wrong with that, but I do have to watch myself lest that strength, I think it is a strength, of planning and organization become a freaky need to control. Perhaps some of you can relate to this at one level or another. However, I believe all of us really do have control issues. We all want, we seem to need, to have some measure of control over life. And after all, doesn't Scripture tell us to have self-control? Yet back to Jeremiah 10.23, this time in the New Revised Standard Version. I know, Lord, that the way of human beings is not in their control, that mortals as they walk cannot direct their steps. So which is it? Do we have control? Are we supposed to have control or not? Well, there is a sense in Scripture which we do have, and in fact we are expected to have control. But it's not this sense that we've been talking about control over circumstances, control over other people, those kinds of things. It's certainly not control over the weather or any other natural mean. What it is is control of our response to the things that life throws at us. That's the self-control that we see mentioned so often, especially in the New Testament. The preponderance of verses in the New Testament where you see the word control usually have self-dash attached to it. The fact that we have no control over anything does not mean that we just sit back passively and let life happen. We're to be free of control 
of sin in our lives. We're to be free from the control of anger in our lives. These things take what? Self-control. We're to have control of our response to temptation. And again, the vast majority of the uses of the word control in the New Testament refer to self-control. And since we have virtually no control over circumstances, no control over other people, that must mean that our primary responsibility is our responsibility. I was talking to Jim Grinnell about this this week, and he noted that it's our ability to respond, especially as those who are in Christ, is to ask the Lord by his Holy Spirit to enable us to control our response. After all, a fruit of the Spirit is what? Self-control, isn't it? So it's the kind of control that we do have, but it's more related to our ability to respond to the stimulus in our lives, the things that would tempt us to sin, the challenges in our lives that would cause us to feel stress or anxiety or even fear. So we can't control the weather, but we can respond to the challenges that the weather brings. We can't control other people, but we can respond to what they do and to what they say. In that sense, we do have control, and it's self-control. But here's the amazing, wonderful, overarching truth that apart from this exception of our responsibility, we have no control. But God has all control, and we can trust in his providential care for us. Now, providence is an old-fashioned word that we don't hear very much, but I think it's worth spending the remaining few minutes we have this morning looking at this very biblical theme. We have already seen it in many of the verses that we've looked at. While many spoke of our lack of control, we also saw that many spoke of God's providence. Providence is somehow maybe a little less scary word than sovereignty. Sovereignty might imply raw, naked power. And you have fear of somebody who has that kind of power. Now, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that, especially when applied to God, especially in light of Scripture. But it might seem that way. But providence feels a little bit more benevolent. However, our modern secular society has pretty much done away with the idea. And that, again, is because we think we're in control and we want to be in control. I'm going to make my own decisions. That's what our world is like. We want to, as the Scripture says, do what is right in our own eyes. So we no longer tend to think of the sun suspended and directed by God in its course. Rather, we hurtle through a vacuum on a rock directed by the seemingly inexplicable distortion of the space-time continuum created by one lump of energy condensed as matter that then directs its motion toward another. Now, 21st century uh, sensibilities dismiss the idea of an overruling God in preference to self-direction. Don't we see that that's true? Healthy, wealthy, intelligent, capable humans take responsibility and control of their own future through education, insurance, prudent financial investments, savvy work choices, and the occasional international holiday. Christianity seems to have outgrown providence. But, as we've already explored, life doesn't always work out that way, does it? Our planning doesn't always quite get us where we want it to go. Our illusion of control is so easily busted on a daily basis. Just saying or realizing that God's in control may help, 
as long as we have this understanding of God as loving and capable. However, think about this. If God is somehow removed from the world or a distant or absent overseer, this is kind of a frightening thing to think about. And it's nothing short of terrifying if the one in control is somehow unfavorably disposed toward me. So a healthy and biblical understanding of the doctrine of God's providence is crucial to trusting him. Scripture tells us clearly of the character and the power of God. Scripture is also clear about the ongoing dependence on God that all of us have. It's true of all creation. If you think about it, the key issues in trusting in God's providence, despite our lack of control, is first of all his ability to provide for us, as well as his loving willingness to provide for us. If God were somehow unable to provide for us, or as deists think, he'd rather just set nature in motion and let the chips fall where they may, then there's no such thing as God's providence. Thankfully, though, throughout God's revelation of himself in his word, we see repeated examples that not only is God all-knowing, but he's all-powerful and he's thoroughly good. We see, for example, in the passage we read earlier from Matthew, that not even a lowly sparrow falls to the ground without God knowing it. Now that's intimate involvement, folks. Think of the billions of sparrows there are in the world. A lot of them in your backyard, pooping on your porch. God's providential rule is also providential care. The sun comes up every day, folks, for all of us, for believer and unbeliever alike. That's one picture of God's providence at work. But it's so much deeper and richer than just that. It's a very personal providence, too. Scripture presents myriad examples of God's interaction with his people, his response to our prayers, his communication with us of his will, so we know what he wants from us. Of course, we always appreciate the idea of God's providence much more when we see how easily it benefits us. We appreciate it a little less when his purposes seem unclear. Or, We appreciate it a little less when our enemies seem to prosper or evil or suffering continues. But the word consistently reveals God to be kind. It consistently reveals him to be full of grace and mercy. It consistently reveals him to be eager to forgive but also punishing wickedness. Scripture also reveals God's ability to provide. So clearly God's character And our absolute dependence on his providential care for us has so many practical applications in all of our lives as followers of Christ. But understanding that his redemptive plan in Christ is what it is gives us confidence in him. That our providential God does have a plan. And it's a plan that involves rescuing you and me from the kingdom of darkness and transferring us into the kingdom of of his marvelous light. Though we have little control over life's circumstances at all, again, we can choose how we respond. That's where we do have control. We have the ability to respond. We can choose to see God's providence through the selfishness of our culture, through our own thoughts of what it means to be free. And in looking at it this way, we might see a mean God. 
We might see a mean God who moves tornadoes and earthquakes and terrorists and dictators like chess pieces in some kind of perverse video game. But those of us who are in Christ can look at God's providence through the lens of God's Word. And we can see a loving God who counts the very hairs on our head. We can see a loving God who gives us our daily bread. We can see a God who loves us and works all things, even the difficult things that most people would see as bad for our good and for his glory. God, folks, God is always for us, and he is never against us. That includes everything, everything that he providentially brings into our lives, whether we understand it as good today or not. And admittedly, a lot of the things that we experience are difficult for us to see as good today. But we look at Scripture, we see that the imprisonment of Joseph seemed like a bad thing. But it sure makes sense now, doesn't it? In hindsight, the enslavement of the Jews in Egypt makes sense now that we see some of God's providential use of that season of history to accomplish his redemptive purposes. Even the death of Jesus, an awful a terrible thing now makes sense in the light of God's redemptive plan as it's revealed to us in his word. We can at least begin to see why it had to happen. So we're talking about ultimate things here. Whatever we face today, whether it's a little thing or a big thing, a good thing or a bad thing, known or unknown, will make sense someday if not in this life, and sometimes God, again, does give us that clarity in this life, but if not in this life, then surely in eternity, when our eyes will be opened to see the behind-the-scenes work that God has done, things we don't quite understand today. And this revelation will be marvelous to us, and ultimately it will cause us to glorify God for all of eternity as we look at the things that God did and the pain that it caused us or somebody else, and we see how God used those things to accomplish his purposes in our lives, and then the ripple effect in other lives out from there. His providential care will be unveiled to us day to day, day by day, forever and ever in eternity. So yes, someday I will glorify God for the money I've spent on plumbers. Someday I'll glorify God for the wet carpet or for the weather that I couldn't control. Because someday I will see in a new way God's redemptive purposes in these things. We all have those moments when we're stressed or when we fear. We're not just stressed, we fear what the future may hold. But though we do not know what the future holds, we are in a deep and loving relationship with the providential God who does in fact hold the future in his hand. And that's a measure of his control. He holds the future in his hand. He controls it. He has no control issues like we do because he's large and in charge and he's lovingly willing and he's perfectly able to do what is for our good and for his glory. And he's the one to whom we can release our control issues that all of us have, let go, trusting him with all of life's circumstances, because he is indeed working, as it says in everybody's favorite verse, Romans 8.28, working all things 
for our good. Amen? Some of us here this morning are having some big control issues. And if you are, and it's causing you either a lot of stress or maybe some fear, I just want you to stand now, and I'm going to pray for you, even as I pray for me. And we're going to release these things to the one who is in control. So let's do this together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the clear picture in your word of a God who's in control, a God who knows what he's doing, a God who is able to do what needs to be done, but a God also who is loving and a God who cares about us, who has a redemptive plan for our lives that involves everything we experience on this earth. And we're grateful for that, Father, but we have to admit that in the midst of these things, we get blinders on and we can't see the big picture. And because we can't see the big picture, sometimes, Father, we're unable to see that you're truly in control of the things in our lives that just look bad and they're hard and they're stressful and they cause fear and anxiety in us. But, Lord, we want to release these things to you this morning. Father, we want to release our control issues because we want to trust in the one who's in control. We know you're in control, Father. Your word declares it with great clarity. But, Father, sometimes it's hard for us to remember and it's hard for us to hang on to in the midst of the challenges of life. So, Father, help us to hang on to these truths. Father, help us to release these control issues to you and help us to look to you as the author and perfecter of our faith, Lord, to help us trust you and to give you glory, not just in eternity, Father, where we know we will, but even in this life that we would give you glory because you are large and in charge and you are in control, Father, and we are able to trust in you. We thank you for these truths and we pray in Jesus' name, amen.